Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Yen Z. Yo, this is Yen Z, and I got Steve, Mr. Steve Jones, with me. Yeah, exactly. And today on the program we have a, a beautiful female artist named Lolo, uh, who opened up for Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness at the Fox Theater in Oakland. Yes, that was a fabulous show. There were several opening bands for that show. Went on well into the evening. It did. But it also floated at a good place. There were, there were four bands, and usually you'd think, okay, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to be here all night, and this is going to take forever and everything, but all of the bands were, were really solid, and, uh, and they, I mean, they had a great lineup, and they kept it moving, and we were out of there by like 10.30, well, technically. Uh, yeah, it didn't last as long as I thought it would, and, um, you know, one of the things I'm remembering about the concert, Steve, is how... Um, well, I got to preface this by, um, unfortunately I missed the first two acts, <laughs> but one of them from, being Lolo, one of them being Lolo. Unfortunately, I wish I could have seen her. Uh, but from your description, I hear she's really quite talented, um, brilliant artist. Um, bummer. I missed her, but I did, you know, get to see some of, um, the show before Andrew McMahon came on stage. And I've got to say the stage Theatrics. New politics, yeah. New, exactly, new politics. The stage theatrics were hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a lead singer did a backflip off the drum kit. And yeah, jumps onto the drum kit, right? Uh, on this huge drum, does a backflip off it, lands perfectly, perfect and, 10 on his feet. And so you'd miss the beginning. I had just uh, done the two interviews w- with Lolo and with the Griswolds, and then we met up back back up at the bar, and you're, you're like, oh gosh, this band that's on, uh, the lead singer did a backflip, and then I just pull out my phone and show you this picture of I caught the backflip in action. I couldn't believe it. You caught it perfectly, and I, had, I was under the impression that you had just walked... Um, from you know walked out of from whatever room you just came from i thought you'd missed the whole thing and i'm like oh my god he got such a great picture of it and i was like oh man i wish i had had that perspective when i saw that back you know backflip happening it was pretty cool pretty cool very cool very animated yeah but uh but all in all i mean some great bands um we're gonna get to check out lolo here in a minute but let's give some foresight into kind of where we're at and uh um, and you know what brings you here on the on the podcast tonight? Well, Steve, I'm here because of your fabulous hair. I just have to call that out right now. Um, I've just got to tell all our listeners right now that uh, Mr. Steve Jones has fabulous hair. He tells me that he spent about two and a half hours this morning uh, getting his hair ready, and uh, he's got his fabulous shades on, and he's looking like fucking David Bowie. I'm looking hot, baby. Oh, hot baby. Yeah. Tell me how it is. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's the night before Halloween. Yeah, it is the night before Halloween, granted. So, uh, Mr. Steve uh, Jones transforms into his daughter's favorite character, current favorite character. Um, the dude on the labyrinth. I don't even know what his name is. Jareth. Jareth. He's the Goblin King. The Goblin King. Yes. So, yes. Steve have is looking seen, like the Goblin Have you goblin seen Labyrinth? Uh, like, yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I... I I've never really seen it until about two weeks ago. I don't think, and um, I'd seen pieces, but not, not the whole thing. And but it's it's been a big uh, movie of hers. She has a poster of it. On, well, I got her a poster uh, for a wall of it, and she's totally into it. So she wanted to be Sarah from Labyrinth. So uh, being the supportive father I am, uh, I decided to go Bowie. And last year we 
pulled the you know matching costumes. She was Dorothy, and I was the Scarecrow, and uh, so we're doing it again. And my son will be Chucky, which uh, isn't related. I didn't realize you. you uh, it's kind of like a theme. It's a theme, like a father and and daughter father theme. daughter theme exactly. And now the son's going to be playing a role in it too. He is, he is. Talking about the son, going. Let's go back to the reason why I'm here. And, let's do it. You know, I've got to say I lied a little bit. And I'm not here because Steve looks like David Boy because I didn't actually know any of that until I got here. Yeah, but you are here. But it was totally worth it. You know, to see you dressed up as uh, the Goblin King. I shouldn't say David Boy. I should say you're dressed up as the Goblin King. You should. You should. You should respect me as the Goblin I King. Do. I am full respect. So anyway, the whole reason I came over was um, because uh, Steve's little boy just turned two years old. Two years old, and yeah, I mean, just grown up so quick. Crazy quick. And his verbal skills, some of the stuff he can say, and some of the things he put together. He's like, Jens, you're a motherfucker. Yeah, he totally said that. And he pointed at me and gave me the like new emoji finger. He like, did. Fuck you, Jens. Thank yeah. you for the fire truck fuck you yes that's what he brat. yes he's he's got great language skills <laughs> <laughs> yes oh, that's too funny man i know yeah i don't know i don't know how that you know what all goes into all of that i think i like to think a lot of it's parenting and uh and speaking to your kids on a normal level and not being like hey do you want a visa candy yeah, you know, sort of thing. Go play. You know, talking to them like they're <laughs> morons. If you talk to them like they're a human, and uh, I think they'll kind of turn into a human faster. And that's quite possible. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's another level of respect. You know, it's like, all right, this adult is treating me like an adult and not like a little baby. So, yeah, respect. Because they they both started talking uh, well really early. I mean, I mean, for their age. So. For him to be, he's speaking full sentences, and normal kids about his age are like two words together or something. Mm. So, yeah, and there's definitely an understanding. You know, I mean, he'll repeat some stuff yeah. um, that adults say, but it's it's not just for the sake of repeating stuff. It's like, or for the sake of you know, I'm acknowledging that you're giving me attention or something. It's totally like, okay, you know, I understand what you just said, so I'm putting these words to action. Like, one of the coolest gifts he got was, um, you know, this little. A car that you can sit in, and it's got little pedals, right? Yeah. This like one of these cool, like old world kids' toys you would give your kids, like in the twenties or forties or something. Really awesome. And um, you know, we told him um, push to move the pedals or something, or put the pedal to the metal, or I don't remember exactly what we said, <laughs> yeah. but he was like he repeating it, like. All right, push push the pedals, pedal to the pedal, and he started moving that little car along. You know, and every now and then he got tired, so he'd do the Fred Flintstone and kind of walk it around, but Yeah. Totally smart kid. He's, you did a good job. Whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. Keep it up. Yeah, yeah. He's I'm pretty proud of the boy, so he's good. You know, if he can only just start shitting in the can, that'd be great. Oh, he's got that poop book. I bought him several. Peas so, for poop or several po- several potty books. Yes, the uh, oh, peas for, for potty, right? Peas for potty. Yes, <laughs> uh, it's just he was almost there, and now it's just regression. And oh my gosh, this is turning into a baby talk podcast. But that's got to be a freaking nightmare, dude. It's it's tiring. Like, and ex- I mean, we're we're gonna f- I'm gonna finish up after this uh, with the the doll. I mean, with the baby talk, but uh, but 
I mean, he's with with Fern, my daughter. She was a lot easier to potty train, especially with the poop, because she'd always kind of make these faces, like you know, or walk off in the corner, and you'd kind of see her, you know, because she had a little bit of constipation with it as well. He he can be like, I'm playing, I'm pooping, I'm playing. There's poop in my diaper. You don't know. Uh, now you know because you can smell it. But. <laughs> That's nasty. Yeah, but so there's no way to kind of tell when he's doing it and rush him to the potty to to do it. So so is the secret to kind of keep an eye out and when it looks like he needs to go, we'll transition him to the toilet or with poop. But I don't know. I read one like on some time schedule or what. So I read one thing that uh, said that you know you can potty train your kid in a week if they're if they're kind of ready. And he, if he, my thought is if he's speaking in full sentences, he knows what you're talking. He knows what you're doing. He knows this is what's supposed to happen. He doesn't want to do it, but, um, but he knows it's supposed to happen. And so, um, so I'm like, he's ready to do it. So, uh, the article I read was like, if you put him on the potty, like every 15 minutes, um, in a week, it'll be done in a week. It'll be done that's completely tiring and strenuous and everything. And, you know, to be honest, I, you know, the amount of time I have him in the week is not that great amount of time. I mean, it's, I have him a couple hours at night, like from four thirty to, uh, to like seven, um, is when he goes to sleep. So I have him for a couple hours and you know, we're eating dinner and finishing up, you know? And so my mom usually has them him for the most part of the day. So it has to be something she actively does, but she's not as dedicated Let's just say a little lazy. A little lazy isn't quite on board with the schedule like you are. She's trying a little bit, but I mean, she's no means up to what needs to, you know, the dedication we need to have to get it done. And a lot of it's got to be on her if we're going to get, if we're going to do it. So we have these conversations and it just (coughs) doesn't go anywhere. That's right. Well, it's like you've set the bar really high and uh, you've got high expectations for everybody to follow their routine. I would just like to be done with diapers. Uh, I mean... That would be so nice. That's a, you know, shitty phase. Ha ha. Uh, Is that a pun? Did I just make a pun? Was that punny? I think it was just a bad joke. That was just a bad joke. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll yeah. shut up. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't take any of this seriously because I am speaking with the Goblin King and I'm just in awe of the, um, the overwhelming presence. As you should be. Bow to my greatness. I, I'm bowing. I'm going to bow at least five times. It sounds good. You know what else uh, people should be doing at least five times? Telling their friends Pooping. to... <laughs> that too. Telling their friends to subscribe to the podcast. Absolutely. At Everybody should friends. be a subscriber of this. And uh, following Concert Pipeline on Twitter at Concert Pipeline and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Concert Pipeline pod. It'll be worth it. It is. Do it during... Uh, listen to it. Download it. Listen to it during your uptime, during your downtime. As I said in previous podcasts, I love uh, listening to these on uh, in the car when I'm doing little road trips. It's good to keep you going, you know? So. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of keeping going, we should keep the podcast going. We should get into the low, low conversation. She, she, I had a great conversation with her and she was, uh, I mean, really descriptive of the situations that she went through. Like she lived with Lisa Marie Presley. No way. Did not know that. She did. She did. She was friends with uh, Aaron Spelling's son also. Wow. Um, And so um, she's been living the LA life a little bit, but she's um, from Tennessee. And uh, so we'll get to hear a little bit about that. 
Before we get into the interview, I think we should take a listen to one of her songs from uh, that she performed at the Fox Theater in Oakland um, several weeks ago. And uh, let's listen to Heard It From A Friend. Sounds good.
right, I am here with Lolo backstage at the Fox Theater in Oakland. How are you doing, Lolo? I'm very good, actually. Yeah, no, you've been doing really well. You mentioned on stage, this is your first time in Oakland. It is. I've been to San Francisco a bunch, and I've quite literally driven through Oakland, but I have never actually been to Oakland. You got to kind of have a reason to come to Oakland a little bit. <laughs> Not that there's nothing nice in Oakland, but. <laughs> but I, I, but it like Oakland's on the up and up, right? It, I feel like is. I feel like I'm reading about it every every time I'm on a plane, particularly like the last few times I've been on a plane. Like you know, they've got like the magazine behind the seat. Sky and, Mall, yeah, 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 yeah right. And they like they'll do a little article about its city, and I feel like Oakland's been that city on like all the airplanes. Yeah, the great thing about the Bay is, I mean, there's a lot of those cities, and yeah. I mean, uh, around there's always something to do in, yeah. in the Bay, which is and always great concerts and everything. So it's, a, it's an amazing little little world it's like its own little it could totally be its own state or something it up here it's we, so big there's so much we've had conversations about separating northern california and southern california i've heard, into two I've states. heard this <laughs> yeah i've heard about this i hear i hear it's quite the controversy i, I think that the only thing holding it up is that it would cost a lot of money to make new flags right so. <laughs> so. no one wants to spend the money i know yeah 51 uh how many flags <laughs> Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We'll stay with 50 for a while. It was I, a lot cheaper yeah. when there were only 13 states and we had to, uh, you know. Go. So true. <laughs> They're like, plus it's an even number. We yeah. don't want 51. It, exactly. It just doesn't fit right. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. So what did you do in San Francisco when you were here a couple times before? Um. Well, if I'm perfectly honest, I dated someone at length who had a boyfriend who was from Novato, Marin County. Yeah. So, um, we spent a lot of time there, our time between there and the Embarcadero where his brother owns a really beautiful, um, apartment. So yeah, that's what I was doing in San Francisco, but I did spend a lot of time. I've played San Francisco a few times. The very first time I ever played San Francisco, I played it. I was opening for Duncan Sheik at the... Palace of the Fine Arts. Palace of the Fine Arts, yeah, it's beautiful. It That's another beautiful gorgeous. venue. Gorgeous. Yeah. Oh my God, I was like, what is another magical wonder palace? It's right? amazing. We got a couple of them here. We're talking about how beautiful this venue is. And this venue is insanely and, beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so the tour just is really getting started right yeah. now. Yeah. You came down from Seattle. Yeah. And uh, did you drive? Did you guys drive straight? Did you take? Did you take we stopped. We we actually came from Vancouver, um, and we stopped in Medford, Oregon last night, and then we drove today from there and got in around three. And it was actually I thought we didn't really hit that much traffic. I thought we were really going to hit traffic. Yeah. The shows are going really well so far. Um, we put you know this is our fourth gig, and we're on our way and getting into a rhythm of everything yeah. and. Everyone's remembering each other's names and fun things like that. There's only two girls on the tour, so I think as far as we're concerned with people remembering our names, we have it the easiest. You got it pretty easy, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, every, it's going really well. It's been really exciting. I put out the um, Comeback Queen EP in July, and it's been really uh, very, very cool and exciting and um like makes me feel emotional feelings to see people singing along to the songs in the audience. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me about the Comeback uh, Queen EP. How did that come together? And we'll start with that. Sure. I have some more questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I began working on the Comeback Queen EP in January with my collaborator, Jake Sinclair, who is boy wonder of musical things he works out of LA and he's super talented and we've worked on a bunch of stuff together. I originally 
first worked with him um, on the song I did with Panic at the Disco in 2013, and we've just continued collaborating since then. And the theory of the Comeback Queen EP and the sort of meaning of Comeback Queen is when shit knocks you down, uh, whether it's work or a relationship or family or, you know, whatever it is, uh, and it really emotionally knocks you down, you have to get up and sort of make a comeback against it. And, you know, I wanted to write this very honestly before... I worked on the Comeback Queen EP. I had done stuff that was definitely more in a more alternative vein. Yeah. Um, and just sort of decided that I just wanted to do me and not write for an agenda, but just write what I wanted to write and write honestly. And, and that's what we did. And I sort of thought, I don't know if anyone's going to like this, but we're going to do it anyway. And uh, it's, it seemed to go over well. <laughs> yeah. Is there a spot you like to write? Like, is it like in your room or is there another place you go to kind of get those feelings out, especially when you're talking about something sure. you know, personal like that? Um, yes and no. I, I'm sort of consistently writing all the time. Um, I always have ideas coming in and out, and I what I what I'm notorious for doing is I will random shit will pop into my head, and I'll just sort of put it in my notepad in my phone, yeah. and or there will be days where I sort of particularly for this comeback Queen EP, I would wake up in the morning and I would just sort of like before I had any coffee or time to really think or second guess myself, I should yeah. say I would just like kind of just channel and chart out all my feelings and say whatever it was was on my mind that morning when I woke up and then we would create from there and uh, it was really fun do you do really the, helpful do you do the same sort of thing with like recording like hooks and, yeah. and things like yeah. it's, it's so great to have that so whenever they come I mean like you know this device does everything it does. it's mental it's so nice to just be able to as long as it's charged and you right. have storage, it'll kind of do whatever the hell you tell it to. Yeah. And it's very helpful being on the go to just be able to open it up and be like, la, 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 into the thing, and, and that's it. You've got it. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. It's nice. So, so tell me about being a young girl growing up and kind of getting into music and the music scene hmm. in Tennessee. It was definitely interesting. Nashville was a very different place when I was like... 14, 15, and I had started writing, and I was going to Nashville, and I was hanging out with, um, I was getting, I had, I had an opportunity through a friend of my mom's to go and sit in these writing rooms in Nashville, and I was like 15, and I grew up in Jackson, which is two hours from there, so my mom would drive me a couple times a week, and we'd go sit in a room with this guy named Chris Bergsness, this other guy named James Slater, these writers in Nashville who were kind enough to kind of let me be a fly on the wall and just see what that world is like. And I had started writing songs on my own. And, and um, but Nashville was a really different place. It wasn't like as like, uh, I don't want to use the word hipster, but yeah. like it's, it was not, it, it was not, it was country music, full blown. Uh, Jack White was not there not mixing, very. mixing up things, you know. Yeah. Um, and so part of the reason why I didn't wind up staying in Nashville is one because I didn't personally want to sing country music I love country music and I grew up loving country music I still love country music um, all kinds of country music too but I personally didn't 
want to sing that kind of music. There was nothing against it. I just didn't. And so I moved to Los Angeles. And that was where, you know, I started writing and performing. And I'd play open mic night kind of things and stuff like that. But growing up in Tennessee around music, I mean, there's literally music happening all the time. And I'm not sure if you've been to... Tennessee before I haven't, and that's what I was going to ask. Also, I mean, is so you'd say there's mm. kind of like a pressure to for it to be country in Tennessee, and not I you couldn't express yourself the way you want to. Well, I I personally didn't necessarily experience that in the sense of like my exact surroundings of like my parents and my friends, but when at the time, especially considering what Nashville was at the time, it was like if you were an established artist, hi, and you had already established what your sound was yeah. yeah it didn't matter you could go to nashville to record an album whatever but if you were like a young girl young teenage school. girl yeah like yeah. trying to go and and sort of establish yourself like it would have been very hard at that time to go into nashville and sort of try and do something and have people not try and pressure you into taking a country route because it's just easier there yeah. you know it's easier if you do that there and I kind of didn't really want to have to compromise. And, and for whatever reason, at like 15, 16, I had a relative awareness to that. And I knew that I couldn't stay there. How scary was it for you to move cross country to, L- to LA where everything's bigger and everything's, and there's, mm. I imagine there's so much pressure. Everybody wants to be a star in LA. It's very, it was very strange culture shock for me. I mean, like, I didn't even know. What I didn't grow up. I was not a redneck or a hick by any means. No offense to any of those. Uh, I should maybe use better words. But um, what I'm trying to say is I did not grow up like under a rock. Yeah. I was cultured relatively, but, you know, and we, we didn't, I didn't have to want for anything as a child. You know, I had a wonderful childhood. And my, we made, my parents took great care of us. But, you know, we were not, like, lavish people by any means. Um, And moving to L.A., I remember the first time I ever went to Barney's, the fancy-schmancy department store. And I just remember thinking, what is happening here? I mean, and I love Barney's. It's a wonderful store, but it's also, like, you know, it was... it's extreme culture shock if you've never known anything like that it's just a different you know I remember going to making friends and going to these big houses in Beverly Hills and you're like I'm not really sure I mean one of my friends who I not really for any reason other than the fact that I lived in England for a few years but one of my friends when I first moved to Los Angeles was Randy Spelling Aaron Spelling's son and I used to spend a lot of time in Aaron Spelling's house which is like the largest house in Los Angeles it's like 26,000 square feet and being there where there's like a 30 person staff and that's insane I was literally like what the what is happening here like it's actually confusing it's a part of life that you've never yeah. known and um yeah it's it's strange and it was very strange for me and uh, and definitely overwhelming because i felt not necessarily i personally didn't feel the pressure to succeed my mother was like do your best we'll figure it out um and extremely supportive what i did feel the pressure of was to like Especially because I was like 16 and you're like, 
hormonal and angsty and you're like a teenager and you don't even really know what your feelings are or why you feel the need to feel so independent and angsty but you do and you're irrational and I felt a pressure to like not necessarily become something but there's in LA in general it can because everyone is like so shiny and everything is so glamorous and it's all like everyone's so perfect and thin and shiny and you're like I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be out here because I'm like very low maintenance I cannot be bothered to do a lot of glamorizing things like I'll put some makeup on I'll put some jewelry on but it's my own version of events um and to my own standards and some days you're lucky if I shower but so you know I'm like operating on a different plane it was a very very strange time yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. confusing (laughs) and and so you can totally not answer this but uh this is you know one of those uh wikipedia type questions that you know lisa lisa marie presley how did that you know how did that come about how did you get in with her and um her daughter riley is a very 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 dear friend of mine and we met because my my closest friend in los angeles uh who has one of these matching tattoos on his arm um he was really close friends with the guy she was dating at the time and he was my really good friend and I wound up meeting her and I had no idea who she was or anything like that and um but just sort of over time getting to know her and her family and everything I became very close to them and then my brother was in an accident my younger brother was in an accident when he came to visit us out in Los Angeles and I what what happened was he was in the accident my mother he had to have this surgery and instead of deciding and it was going to be a long rehab process after so they flew him the day of his crazy accident to tennessee on a plane like sort of gave him a bunch of drugs so he could withstand the flight in pain and got him to tennessee so he could do the surgery and rehab where we actually lived yeah (laughs) and and so i had to go around saying goodbye to everyone and at that point you know lisa knew that i was trying to do the singing songwriting thing and i was in a reggae band and i was doing this and i was doing that and i was working really hard and and she knew and and she really believed in me and she had like you know listened to the songs i was written and listened to my demos and tried to sort of make some connections for me here and there and all that she was extremely uh extremely helpful and always has been and very encouraging and so when i went around saying goodbye uh to all my friends riley obviously was one of them and she was just like no you you can just come live in my house and i was like thank you that is so kind but no and then and then like two days later um lisa called my mom and was like you can't take her she has to stay and we love her and she can stay with us and um being able to stay with them literally changed my life i wouldn't have i would never have auditioned for spring awakening that never would have happened i mean i wouldn't have been in los angeles i would have been in tennessee my life would be extremely different i'm uh they're like a surrogate family to me but i also you know something like that there's no way you can ever really repay someone for when they really do something life-changing for you yeah <laughs> there's no price you uh, can put yeah on what that. can you do right uh, no yeah no that's that's crazy but i mean i'm sure it made the, the world to your career right and, and yeah 
And I mean, at, at what point kind of relative to that did you kind of go in and, and make Wasted in Tennessee? So I made that record. So I did Spring Awakening for three years in New York. Um, and then I can't. And, and during the time that I was in Spring Awakening, I got a publishing deal with Sony ATV, who I'm still with and I love them. They're very good to me. And um, I decided to start working on Wasted in Jackson when I came out of the show. It was a very therapeutic experience. Because I, the whole time I was in the show in New York, I was still playing shows. I was writing. I was working on things. But I was not, uh, I was not at the time, like, actively trying to write an album. And then I got an opportunity to go to London and work with Egg White, who is this insane singer-songwriter. His actual name is Francis White, but he goes by Egg with one G. He'll remind you. And he's amazing. He's won a bunch of Ivor Novello Awards over there, which is their big songwriting, you know, awards that they do. And he's incredible. And I, I got a chance to work with him and spend a few days writing with him. And it was just kind of, at that point, trial and error. It was like, could, do, do we get along? Is it going to work? And I was 20. And he was 42. With a family and three girls. And, you know, our sort of situations yeah. were so drastically different about our lives. But... We just connected. He's, he's definitely the person I've written with the, the most in my life, uh, still to this day. And um, and that's when I began working on Wasted in Jackson. And, you know, I had spent all that time in the show in New York, but I hadn't really done any writing or sort of con- really confronted myself about my feelings, about being away from home and how I felt about life or whether I liked it or didn't or happy or sad you know and Egg was a great person to be able to write with and explore my feelings with he has this insane ability of helping you get to the point because a, a lot of the lyric writing in that was me I would say the majority of the lyric writing was me and he wanted it to be uh, which was awesome, and then the music we, you know, but it was it was completely like fifty fifty. We did everything together, and um, but it was a very uh, therapeutic thing. Although I did get a lot of shit from some people about writing "Wasted in Jackson" about my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you didn't go play, you know, write out and play shows in <laughs> back no, in Tennessee. No, it was an interesting response to the song because half of the response was like a big F you uh, and then the other half was like I completely relate to this and you've written the story of my life so and how I feel how do you separate the crowd right <laughs> <laughs> you awkward yeah, yeah, exactly. it's a little awkward for sure yeah. I did, I, the chamber of commerce was not giving me a key to the city if you know what I'm saying Yeah, yeah. they weren't thrilled <laughs> yeah So, tell me about the decision to change uh, your um, kind of stage name to Lolo. So, I would say that the main root of the name change is two things. One, after a certain point, I started writing things for other people and writing songs for other people. And then I also started writing a musical, which opens in New York on Tuesday, which I will not be there for because I will be on tour. Um, and so when I started doing all these things, I, I'm published under my given name and, uh, and I write all those songs and they're all published under my given name. And so, and they needed to be separate 
it's a different thing. Yeah. And 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 then also the other side of it is, you know, I've been performing a long time, but now especially the music that I make now for me that isn't music for other people. I definitely it's I definitely become a different person on stage. You know, I have to sort of go into a different mindset to be able to perform and that person is Lolo. And Lolo has been my nickname since I was in middle school. And so and quite honestly, I wanted to change my name when I put the Wasted in Jackson record out and my label that I was with at the time wouldn't let me, which was really frustrating. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and I was young and green and things were different then, you know, and it's all a learning experience. But, you know, I would say the root of it is, you know, I obviously don't become a different person, but I do in a way, you know, it's sort of the best way I can explain it is, you know, Beyonce always says she becomes Sasha Fierce when she goes on stage and that I can definitely relate to. My version of that is Lolo. Yeah. And, and you covered a Beyonce song tonight. So are, yeah. you, are you a big Beyonce fan? I love her, yes. I think she's glorious and beautiful. And I think she is a music angel sent from the heavens, yes. You ever get mm-hmm. to meet that music angel? I haven't met her. I've been very close a few times uh, under like totally kind of normal circumstances. Um, but I hear that she's lovely. Yeah. And amazing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, yeah. Do you have uh, plans to go back in and work on a full length? Uh, yeah. yeah. We actually, to be perfectly honest, when we did the Compact Queen EP, we actually did a whole chunk of songs, actually. When in July, in uh, January, when I went in and worked with Jake, we did a whole chunk of songs. And then we, we kind of may, may tried to decide whether we wanted to do an EP or do an album or what the hell did we really want to do. And... And uh, we decided to do the EP. Um, It felt like the right thing to do. And we decided to do that and then uh, put the full length out at some point in the spring of next year. So we have a majority of the songs already that we are going to put on that. The Comeback Queen EP songs will be on there plus some others. I still want to do a little bit more writing. I've been sort of writing as the days go on. consistently writing all the time um but it's pretty much done and i'm really happy with it (laughs) i feel like i'm not compromising and i'm really thrilled to have the management that i have around me crush management and jonathan daniel and bob mcclin and my day-to-day manager john lulo like they're just genuinely amazing because they don't want me to be anybody but myself and uh i'm forever grateful to them for allowing me to be whatever it is that I need to be. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, uh, Lolo, thank you for taking the time Thanks. today. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for chatting. Check appreciate out, it. Uh, Lolo's come, uh, Comeback Queen, their, uh, her new EP. So. Yeah. Thanks. That was the interview with Lolo. Thank you, Lolo, a.k.a. Lauren Pritchard, to, uh, for doing that interview. Really appreciate it. Uh, great times at the Fox Theater. Uh, I just got to interrupt you for a second. So I was just thinking about um, the concerts we've been to, and it just occurred to me that um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm laughing about this, but um, 
Steve and I have have had some bad post concert luck. We have, um, yeah, right. And uh, during the last podcast we did together, uh, we talked about what happened to my car. Refresh us on that first. Yeah, let me refresh you for those of you that um, uh, missed that podcast. But essentially, we uh, went to a Flogging Molly's show in San Francisco um, just a few weeks, I think, before the, uh, we went to this show, right? Yep. Um, so I parked my car uh, not too far away from the venue, which was right next to Costco, like Kitty Corner from Costco, right? What was the name of the place again? Slims. Slims, yes. Great venue for those of you that have uh never been there before and happen to be in san francisco definitely catch a show there nice intimate place anyway so um long story short at the end of the show uh we went a block down the street to go pick up my car and found that not just one but two of the passenger side tires had been slashed that was fun. <laughs> yes, yes, it was a great night, and and I had to work at five a.m. the next morning. So right, it was insane, and this AAA guy took forever to get us back home. He got there quickly. I mean, it took less yeah. than ten minutes. He oh was yeah, there. I was surprised. We were we were gonna like pot in the car because we thought it would be like an hour or something. And totally, we we're gonna knock out that podcast yes. in the car, get it all done, get Steve home because he had to get up early for work. But it took forever for this triple I guy. He, he was trying to help us out by inflating both of the tires again, but he couldn't, you know, his truck didn't have a inflator thingy. The gas station down the street didn't have a, like a little inflator thingy. It was, it was nuts. It took forever. Anyway. Um, so we were kind of <laughs> laughing and joking and, um, Steve had reminded me that his car had been broken into, um, at another venue in San Francisco, the Fillmore. But this was quite a while before that. Yeah, this was like back in March or so. Yeah, so this year, but back in March. And um, I mean, there have been many concerts in between, but um, we were just kind of laughing at this whole fact that there's kind of a, maybe there's a theme going, maybe this is a developing trend, you know, in post-concert madness that, you know, hey, um, there's a potential that our cars are going to get broken into, right? We were laughing, oh, well, maybe it's going to be your car next, Steve, because it was your car and it's my car and now it's your car. Well, fucking guess what happened? You cursed the Yen's banshee or whatever, and uh, and and my fucking window was smashed again. Fucking window was smashed. The it was a little bit opposite this time because I I left the show um, before I did. Uh, yeah, bef- but why did I do that? We were well, so after oh, the show. We'll we, get to that later. We'll, oh, we'll get to that. We'll later. get to that later. Yeah. So we we watched the show. We got behind the. We got backstage and all that stuff. But I felt like I had to go a little bit early because I had to work that early that morning. Pushed, um, pushed out is what they call it. Yes. Pushed out? Pushed. Pushed. I pushed out. I was a wussy. Yeah. I wussed out, pushed out. Yeah. I got in my car. I got halfway home. Get this uh, text message from Steve. It's a fucking photograph of his broken window. From glass. The, yeah, from the inside of the car. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. Taken from the inside of the car, like from the driver's seat perspective. Glass everywhere, all over the passenger side seat. Passenger window busted. Yeah. And I just had a flashback of how you sent me photos of that, you know, when that happened to you last March. And I couldn't believe it. Like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> like, this, I predicted it. I called that, right? This was, I mean, uh, you know, I was surprisingly not angry at the situation because I had a positive outlook toward it and how it could have been so much worse. True. Two it, things, right? The Goblin King had a fucking positive <laughs> outlook. Uh-huh. <laughs> Put your glasses back on, man. Goblin King had a... Po- he wasn't the Goblin King then. So uh, Steve <laughs> had a positive outlook on this. And it was like 
kind of normal now. It was reaching a point where it had happened, you know, frequently enough where it's, well, it's kind of normal, kind of expected well, that this kind of thing's going to happen. Well, so they, the window was, the same window was shattered and they threw all my shit around in the front seat, like from my glove box and, and everything they, they could reach. But there was, they didn't get anything. There's nothing that they, they got. And there was no glass on the driver's seat, which is nice. I didn't have to sit in a pile of glass in it, my ass. It was kind of convenient, right? It was so, kind of convenient that the window was broken in just the right kind of area. It wasn't all that... Uh, well, you had to drive home with I mean, no window. It, that I wouldn't, sucked. I wouldn't, <laughs> convenient isn't probably the best word I would use. Uh, you know. Could have been worse. Could yes. have been the front windshield smashed. Yeah. But they didn't steal anything. Didn't, and you yeah. had a computer or something in there. In the back seat. In the back yes. seat. They didn't see that. And they, yeah, luckily they missed it. So everything, you know, again, I'll pay for the window. It sucks. It's apparently becoming an expensive hobby to go to concerts. And yeah. Yeah. The, the, the ticket of the, the concert ticket is the cheapest thing yeah. about it now, right? Especially, yeah. So um, they didn't try to stick, take the stereo. They didn't, I mean, it was just a broken window. Do people take stereos anymore? I like, don't know. I, mean, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't think those, I don't know. I mean, so they many, don't pop out anymore, so I don't right. think... Right. Cars are different now. They all have these custom, you know, stereo systems and head units or whatever, and it's not like you can pull that out and put it in your car. I no. don't know. Maybe they just sell it on the black market. No. And Ends up in Mexico. Who knows? Yeah. So, lucked out there. Uh, Could have been worse, but I got home. I dealt with it. I paid a couple hundred bucks to... To replace it and move on with my life. So, fun times. And but Crazy. but I di- I'll tell you that this past week I did interview uh, another band, which we'll tell you about at the end of the podcast. But it was like two or three blocks from the Fox Theater, so it was right around where my car was, and I was worried again that going back to Oakland that uh, my car would get broken in two. So luckily it didn't. Jump to the punchline. That's crazy. And you know what? Um, shortly after this happened, I was speaking with somebody. I don't remember who this was. Um, I was just kind of relaying the story about how many times, you know, these cars get broken into. And this person has said, you know what I do <clears throat> um, is that I just don't lock my car anymore. It's like, I don't like my car. I just put a little note in the under the windshield that says, windshield wiper that says, hey, you know, um, please don't break the window. Um, so, the yeah, car is unlocked. Someone posted that on my Facebook. Yeah. So oh, is that what it was? That's what it yeah. was. Okay. Yeah. Someone posted that on my Facebook. You were talking to someone who posted that. I'm like, that freaking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I should do that. I should make a little laminated card, you know, in case it rains or something, which it never does right. around here. <laughs> and say, hey, man. There's no value. Don't slash my tires. Just whatever. Doors yeah. are unlocked. It's an Nothing idea. Nothing to steal. I don't know if I have if I'm dedicated enough to do that. And I don't know if well, that, does that work? I, I, I don't know. Idea, what if the whole car's gone, right? You really can, can you hotwire cars these days? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I'm not going to, I have ch- no idea. I'm not going to leave my car unlocked. Yeah. I'll just chance it. So anyway, whatever. I'm kind of scared about the next show we go to. Yeah. I might just Uber it. Well, it, the next show is in Napa. So, um, we're pretty safe here. You think so? There aren't going to be any carjackings? No, this is not Oakland by uh, any means. No, crime rate's pretty bad. Don't they steal like cases of wine around here? Oh, yes. Yes. That, which will be all in my car, of course. <laughs> yes. Well, let's play another song by Lolo. All right. I think we should. And so this is from her uh, her EP titled Come Back Queen. This is the, the title track, Come Back Queen. Hit it. Hey, this is Lolo, and you're listening to Concert Pipeline. Hey! 
right, so that was Comeback Queen by Lolo. And um, so uh, we want to talk about the, the end of the, the concert. Let's talk about Andrew McMahon for a minute. And um, So what, what did you think about Andrew McMahon in the wilderness, Jens? Well, um, I've got to start by saying that Andrew McMahon is someone that I recently discovered. And um, he's been out, obviously, um, for ever what 10 years he, i mean he's got a, quite a, a library since his teens he was in uh, something corporate in his teens and so first band something corporate the first time i, I saw him was 2003 with my uh, friend joe and some other uh, folks at the fillmore okay um, that's where you got your car broken into that one time yeah but it wasn't in 2003 no, I didn't, so there's been a lot of successful visits to the <laughs> fillmore where my car did not get broken into we're not trying to give the fillmore any bad impressions no, no, I love but, the Fillmore. So that's, well, yeah, you're right. That's over 10 years. I mean, that's like at least 12, 12, 12 years there. Years. And so he, he's, and he started a couple years before that, I think. So, and then he was in another band, um, Jack's Mannequin. Good. And then oh. now he's doing his uh, solo stuff. Yep. And you're making it in the wilderness. Exactly. So, um, I like many people, you know, many people who have recently discovered Andrew McMahon, it was because of his, um, Cecilia and the Satellite uh, single, right? Yeah, and you play that on uh, Apple Music like all the time. You do a radio station starting with that, right? Exactly. So that's um, that's how I just that's kind of how I discovered him. I was um, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and I've had some good luck creating these radio stations using um, Apple Music or not even Apple Music, just Apple's music app. Um, you know, within the last year or so. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do one with Andrew McMahon. And I've got to say, the um, the other stuff that I heard on that radio station I created was really, really, really good. And, um, you know, me being ignorant, didn't realize that a lot of what I was listening to was Andrew McMahon content on the Wilderness album. So when I finally uh-huh. broke down and bought it, I also bought um, a Jack Mannequin's album. Nice. And a fabulous uh, cover that uh, Andrew McMahon did of Dylan. Um, put all of this in a, um, in a playlist and thought to me, thought to myself, I already know half of Wilderness. I mean, this, this was in my, uh, my radio station. Yeah. And so I felt, I felt like, woohoo, I am so ready for this concert. Yeah. And, and so you enjoyed yourself? I did. Totally enjoyed myself. So I felt like I was ready to go. Um, was pumped. Uh, probably knew about half of the set list. That's um, not bad. That's yeah, that's not bad. Based on Wilderness and the Andrew McMahon um, album that I bought. Um, and the rest of the stuff, especially the older stuff, I didn't know. Yeah. But um, I was impressed not just by his performance. His energy was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Band was great. The fans were hardcore. I mean, there were so many of those uh, fans that were there. They were obviously knew him from his you know earlier works. Yeah, yeah. And last week on the podcast, we played uh, at at the end of the show an acoustic version of Punk Rock Princess by something corporate that he played. And it was really beautiful. Um, so it was great to see. And um, and uh, and I've seen Andrew perform a lot over the years. I've had, a, I mean, he's an artist that's really inspired me in a lot of ways. His music kind of, in, in, to me, um, it speaks to kind of my generation a little bit in, in situations I've gone through and I can relate to it a lot. And, um, and so I've, um, I've known him, um, you know, for over the years as well. Cause I've interviewed him a couple of, I've interviewed him like three times now. 
Um, it, I mean, it was really impactful to me to last year, um, while we're talking about my kids' birthdays, um, last year for my daughter's fourth birthday, um, got to, I mean, he performed a free show in Golden Gate Park um, and, um, and she got to meet him and get a picture with him. And, and that sort of thing is something that I can hold on to and I can, sh and it's just so great for me to be able to share that with her. Um, and, and then she'll have that. I mean, she, she likes the Cecilia song also. So she, um, she definitely digs his music and, um, and that's just, that's really cool to me, uh, to get to share something that's really important to me. And, and, Another kind of really memorable moment for me with uh, Andrew was um, when I was in college, um, I had you know, one of my favorite interviews of all time. And I've done, you know, a ton of interviews now at this point of, of bands. But um, but he, right when he was starting Jack's Mannequin, uh, he, I, I was like his first, at least his first video interview, if not his first, you know, real interview with uh, Jack's Mannequin. And uh, you, you know, you're, you're taking a picture of me as Bowie now. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm talking to the uh, Goblin King right now, so I've got to, I've got to capture this moment in infamy. You do, um, and so um, Andrew came to my dorm at San Francisco State and did an uh, interview, and we totally gutted. I don't even know if I've told you a story, but we totally gutted the living room completely, put all the furniture in other rooms, and so and then set up three cameras, lighting. We had wireless mics on us, and uh, like we sat in directors' chairs and everything, and. Um, and I, I did like a half an hour interview with him, um, in my home, which was like totally cool. And, and they had actually offered me a performance, like to have him perform. Um, and I turned it down. Why did you do that? <laughs> because I was like, I was, I mean, it was, it was a split second decision, but I was like so grateful for what I had uh, with the interview. And I didn't know how to mic a keyboard or anything like that. And I didn't think I'd do it justice, but I, it's one of those things that I'm like, Oh man, it would have been so cool. If you could them. go back in time yeah, yeah, and change one thing. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't would say, I'd, I wouldn't say I'd use a regret tour. You know, I don't regret that I didn't do it, but it would have been really cool to have been able to have that, um, as, as well. I mean, it's really cool to have had the interview. Um, I mean, it was a really special interview, and and yeah. it and it happened two weeks before he was diagnosed with acute lymphatic leukemia. Exactly, it was like right before everything went I, down. Yeah. I, I read it on Polestar.com that he was diagnosed, and and it just made me like flip out a little bit. Like I was mm. like, oh my gosh! Like I, I imagined the world without it, without his music, uh, and and that sort of thing. And he went on to do a Dear Jacks documentary, which I, I should lend it to you. Um, because it's it's really impactful, and I think I should, like shed a tear the first time I watched it. Um, because because uh, it's I mean you see him going through this whole struggle of cancer and not knowing if he's going to make it, and and uh, I mean he's come out on the other side obviously, and he's performing and he continues to get to do what he loves, and you know and he has a Dear Jack Foundation now um, where he raises money for. Um, you know, cancer research and, you know, and really helps the cause that, um, that saved his life really. So, right. So definitely we're supporting. That's one of the reasons he's so incredible, you know, is because he has the story that speaks to a lot of people. You know, um, and I think that's one of the reasons he, there were so many fans, you know, at that show that, uh, were so dedicated, um, to him since the beginning. Um, because the story that he, you know, tells, um, resonates with folks. 
Yeah. And um, and so kind of when Ryan out the Andrew McMahon talk is Andrew McMahon is actually coming back to Napa this coming Friday um, as part of Live in the Vineyard. And so um, we're going to be in uh, in that. Um, you're going to be there on Saturday, so you're going to miss Andrew. But Joe's going to – it's going to be the first show that I've gone to with Joe since like before he had his baby. Um, he doesn't get overdue anymore. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he, uh, we, we didn't FaceTime the podcast. He, he, even though he lives three minutes away, he's never, we've never in part. I, I, that's person. crazy. That's right? The first time you told me that where you guys remotely do uh-huh. through FaceTime or whatever. Yeah. And he's only three miles away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it only takes like an extra, it's, it's 10 minutes. It's just, it's logistics <laughs> and, you know, the family, his family being there and, right, and you right, know, right. and he'd feel obligated to take care of his kid and everything and, and all, I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. It's pretty great. The so. stuff you can do with technology. We can. So, um, so I think we should wind out this podcast and put a nail in it and call it a day. And, uh, so next week uh, on the podcast, we're uh, going to have a band called Potty Mouth. Um, I interviewed them, like I said, in Oakland, um, and uh, and so they, we uh, it's an all chick punk rock band, and so we're going to cover that uh, next week. Got some good stories around that, and uh, and then uh, after that, we'll maybe bring you some. Uh, some tracks from live in the vineyard and um and oh yeah we also have dave simonette from trampled by turtles uh he's playing at city winery in napa so that i think that'll be a pretty cool show um also so we have some good stuff coming up on concert pipeline um so for concert pipeline that's yenzi live with steve jones aka the goblin king we're going to play out with one more song. Uh, this is a cover uh, from that Lolo did of Beyonce's Halo. Here it is. I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three. Thank you.